This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Fionn McCool, Cullen, Deirdre, all the sorrows grow on your wail. From giants right down to fairies, about the trooping and solitary, and ghosts who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, the Merrow Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore mythology, we retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olahan. I'm your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 164 of Fireside. Today on the Irish Storytelling Podcast, we continue our look at the journey of Ireland's pirate queen of Gráinne Whale. This is Gráinne Whale, the notable traitoress. But before we get down to that, uh, if you have not done so already, please follow me over on Instagram at firesidebard. Email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com if you want to get in touch for anything. Um, You can support the podcast in a few different ways. You can recommend it to a friend. You can share it on your story. You can buy my poetry book, Garden Sea, which is available in Kindle and paperback versions uh, from headstuff.org or from amazon.co.uk or any Amazon in the world. Uh, All the links for that are in the description below. And you can also do so by supporting the podcast over at uh, headstuffpodcast.com where for as little as five euro a month, although you can pay as much as you want, you can join Headstuff Plus, where you can gain access to bonus material, not just for Fireside, but for all of the podcasts on the Fire on the Headstuff Podcast Network. And there are more of them each and every month. A new podcast that started on the the network that I'm very very excited about is Talking Ted, which is a, a podcast on the incredibly the incredible absolute uh, magnum opus of Irish comedy, which is Father Ted, uh, hosted by uh, two of its former stars, uh, Joe Rooney and Patrick McDonnell. Um, I look forward to checking that out, and so should you. Um, But before we get down to the story, yes, it has been... I know people, uh, a lot of people catch up on this podcast and... Some people may not listen like week week to week. Some people like wait and then listen to it in a while. But it has been, it's been a few weeks. It's been a few weeks since I've recorded uh, this last this last episode of Fireside. We've uh, taken an unintended hiatus, uh, which was never my plan and which I wish hadn't happened, but uh, has happened for uh, a couple of reasons. Uh, I won't go into them in too much detail, um, but well, basically. Uh, I was the last episode I recorded was my last week working over in Dubai at the World Expo over there playing Irish music, and I was to then go home to Ireland uh, to start rehearsals for a long, long postponed and long awaited five month tour of Australia with World of Musicals. Regular listeners of the podcast will know 
that this has been cancelled numerous times. We actually made it out to Australia last year, performed three shows, got stuck out here. Um, so we're now up and running. I'm recording this from Perth. Um, we've been on the road for a couple of weeks um, and it's been brilliant uh, to finally, finally be back, finally be back in front of live audiences in theatres. It's been incredible. I'm so grateful to be back. But why it's taken so long to record another episode of Fireside is on my last night in Dubai, I suffered uh, quite a bad neck injury. Um, it was trapped nerves on both sides of my neck. I think as a delayed response from playing guitar every day for so much, um, I think I tense my jaw and my neck a lot when I play guitar, which is something I need to work on. Um, so I kind of couldn't move. And then uh, being on a long flight the next day, with a neck injury was exacerbated further. So I was in and out of physio and it was looking like I might have to get an x-ray and it was it was looking a bit bad and scary there for a while. Uh, on top of that, when I was on my way, and this is uh, probably more, that was a reason why it was delayed for a little while, but what delayed it further is due to no, no small part of me having this neck problem going through the airport in Dubai. Um, I left my iPad on uh, in the bin going through security, uh, which had all of the files for Fireside. I, I run my entire business from that iPad, um, and I it was gone. And I tried searching there, lost and found. I was emailing back and forth and calling people, and they tried to find it, but it, it was just stolen. So luckily, I was able to get all the Fireside files back from Jamie Reynolds, who used to produce this podcast. He thankfully still had all the stuff, so I was able to find everything to re-edit it. But then I needed to get uh, a new computer uh, to run the, the company from, so I finally invested. I've been looking to invest in a MacBook Pro for years and years, to be fair. I was lucky to be able to even edit my book on an iPad, but I really pushed an iPad Pro to the limits of what it was designed to do. Uh, and it was great and it was portable, but I finally have invested in a serious bit of kit with the, the MacBook Pro now. So this is the first episode I've recorded with that and the first episodes that I've written with that. Um, all of this, I just say to say, um, this is why it has been a couple of weeks if anyone does listen, any, for anyone who listens regularly and has been wondering, where did you go, Fireside? We're back, and I'm recording two episodes with this today to try and stay on top of it. The tour schedule is quite uh, is quite full on, uh, especially when we're traveling around so much. Like you know, we've had a lot of like four, five, six hour bus journeys, the days of shows. So you kind of get up, get on the bus, go arrive at the venue, sound check, do the show, go back to the hotel, and just lather, rinse, repeat. Um, but every so often I get a moment in a hotel room with a bit of peace and this is where I'm going to carve out and I'm going to try and get two episodes recorded every time I get to sit down so that we can stay well ahead of ourselves so that what happened with the injury and with the loss of the iPad never happens again and that I never miss a, a fireside for that long again. So Thank you for your patience, those who have been listening, and I hope that this episode is worth the wait and that we can get back into the swing. Fireside is going nowhere. Now, the story for this week, we return once again to Grania Whale. We continue her story. Grania Whale is growing later in age. Both of her husbands are dead. All of her children are grown. Some of her grandchildren are grown. And we are going to find out now what happens with Grania Whale, the notable traitoress on Fireside. 
Grania Whale, the notable traitoress. In July 1588, the long-awaited, long-dreaded, and long-feared Spanish Armada sailed for war with England. Led by the flower of Spanish aristocracy, the Catholic counter-reformer Philip II, who had been married to the former Queen of England, Mary I, Philip now sailed to depose his hated, heretical sister-in-law, Elizabeth I. 134 ships, over 30,000 men sailed for the British coastline. The Armada was considered invincible, but fate would not be on the side of the Spanish. Though fewer in number, the English ships were faster and better captained, and the unified Spanish fleet was scattered. Then the weather turned, and many of the Armada's ships were inadvertently drifted towards the north and west coastlines of Ireland. A reported 26 Spanish ships were wrecked along the Irish coast, five of which were on the shores of County Mayo, the home and dominion of Ireland's pirate queen, Grania Whale. The fear from the English crown was that the survivors of these Spanish wrecks would ally themselves with the fellow Catholic Gaelic Irish chieftains against the common enemy of England. The English governor of Connacht and long adversary of Grania Whale, Sir Richard Bingham, was rushed back to his post in Ireland, along with the newly appointed Lord Deputy Sir Richard Fitzwilliam. The rumours and paranoia spiralled. Paranoia of chieftains harbouring Spanish soldiers. Rumours of the treasure on board the wrecked armada ships now sunk beneath the foam of Ireland's jagged coastlines. So Fitzwilliam made it illegal for the Irish to harbour Spanish survivors, and made the act of doing so to declare oneself in open rebellion against the English crown and risk the confiscation of their lands. There is very little evidence of what truly happened to the wrecked armada ships along the Irish coastline. There were reports of immense brutality on the part of the Irish, which, while may have been true, these accounts came almost exclusively from the English and must be viewed with both the relationship at the time with Irish pirates and Spanish merchants and of the racist attitudes toward the Irish of this period. But the tale is of El Gran Grin, a colossal converted merchant ship carrying 28 guns and 329 men, which sailed from Spain for England and was caught in a horrendous tempest and was drifted all the way around to the jagged rocks and shallow reefs of Clue Bay, the defensive stronghold of Grania Whale. With no room and no hope of manoeuvring this narrow, unknown terrain, the El Gran Green was wrecked up on Clare Island. The ship's captain, Don Pedro de Mendoza, and 100 survivors clambered to the shores of the island and were to have been met by Dove Dara Rua O'Malley. This is where the accounts differ. The English report is that the Irish massacred all of the surviving Spanish and that the rest drowned in the wreck. But the Irish pirates, 
and the O'Malleys in particular, had a long history of trading and cooperation with the Spanish, and there is no tradition of such a massacre on Clue Bay. But the presence of 100 foreign soldiers on the island would also have outnumbered the residents, and it would have been impossible to shelter and feed all of these soldiers. Some reports say that Dove Dara imprisoned the Spanish, and some were killed attempting to escape. Also, three of the crew of El Gran Green eventually showed up in the custody of the English governor in Ireland, Sir Richard Bingham. Possibly captured and traded by O'Malley to Bingham, but this also seems particularly unlikely. At this point, no Irish clan was less likely to cooperate with the English, and especially the long, meddlesome Richard Bingham, than the O'Malley's. But in all of these accounts, there is no mention of Grania Whale. For a woman who had spent a lifetime profiteering and plundering, there is no way Grace would not have been aware of the bountiful ships wrecked on her doorstep. The O'Malley's also had a long-standing relationship with the Spanish, and if any Armada survivors had put themselves at the mercy of Grania Whale, she almost certainly would have aided them. But with her rebellious past and command of both land and sea, Grace was also under the scrutinous, watchful eye of Sir Richard Bingham, so any Spanish Grace may have smuggled out of Ireland would have been done with utmost discretion. But ultimately, the truth of the Spanish Armada ships wrecked along the west coastline of Ireland are lost to the fathoms of the Atlantic. What is known is of the consequences of the Armada wreckage on Grania Whale and to Gaelic Ireland at large. Lord Deputy Fitzwilliam became impatient with Sir Richard Bingham, and Bingham was ordered to enter Connacht and to find, torture, and kill any of the Spanish survivors. The increasing armed presence of the English in their lands, coupled with the election of the hated John Brown as the new sheriff in Mayo, led the Burks the fellow clansmen of Grania Whale, to enter into open rebellion against the Crown. An order was issued from Bingham to Brown to burn and spoil the lands of the traitorous Burks. This commission was signed only by Bingham, rather than by the two commissioner signatures legally required for such a controversial command. The Burks saw this as proof of Bingham's specific hatred of their family. Sheriff John Brown arrived at the gates of Grawnywale's castle at Carrigahowley with 250 English soldiers. Grace's grandson Richard Burke objected to the English arrival and attempted to stop them marching any further. Brown ignored Richard's objection and marched on the castle, and John Brown was killed along with 25 of his men by the defending forces of the O'Malley and Burke clans. This incident was the strongest act of rebellion against the Bingham administration in Connacht. Gronuel herself joined the fight by sea, and according to Bingham set fire to the Aran Islands, which had recently been granted to English landowners. The growing rebellion led Lord Deputy Fitzwilliam to order Bingham to stop his attacks on the Gaelic Irish and entered into negotiations with the Burks. This again tells us of the threat that the family of Gronuel posed to the English. The peace negotiations began, 
First, the Burks brought back up the issue of the McWilliam ship, the highest position of power in the west coast of Ireland, previously held by Richard on Erin Burke, the now dead second husband of Grania Whale. The position that had all been assimilated and eradicated by the English. The Burks wished for the position to be reinstated and held by William Burke, a.k.a. the Blind Abbot, the brother of Richard Aniron. Their second demand was for the removal of Sir Richard Bingham as the governor of Connacht. This stronger demand was actually supported by Fitzwilliam and many English lords who also wanted Bingham out of office, which lends further credence to his brutality. Queen Elizabeth herself eventually ordered Fitzwilliam to be cordial with the Burks and for Bingham to remain in Athlone Castle for negotiations. Bingham was furious of his queen siding with these beggarly wretches. Fitzwilliam met with the Burks in Galway, and Gronuel's presence and influence is felt by the charges laid against Bingham concerning her own family. Bingham was charged with the murder of Gronuel's eldest son, Owen O'Flaherty, and also of her nephews, cousins by blood and marriage, and young hostages including the son of the blind abbot. The Burks offered to hand over Spanish hostages if Bingham was removed, but this was likely a ploy to buy time, as no hostages were ever handed over, and the Burks held all the cards. But Queen Elizabeth's purse and patience grew thin. She ordered Fitzwilliam to put Bingham on trial to see was there any truth to these allegations. Bingham was acquitted of all charges, and was reinstated as Governor of Connacht, and was ordered to bring the Burke Rebellion to heel in as quick and bloody fashion as he saw fit. Bingham descended on Connacht with merciless force, and Gronuel was soon left with no dominion but the only one that truly mattered to her, the sea. In a skirmish with Bingham, the blind abbot William Burke lost a foot, which left him by Gaelic custom unfit to serve as the MacWilliam. Harkening back to the days of the Tour de Danon, when knew the law of Arrigid was removed from power for the similar loss of a limb. As more of the younger Burke men were wiped out of the rebellion, the elderly Gronuel once again emerged as the matriarch and avenger of her clan. When word reached her that her second son Murroch had allied himself with her enemy Bingham, Gronuel sailed from Murroch's lands and set fire to them, killing his men. Grace also went to Scotland to hire 700 Galloglass mercenaries to join the fight. But when the Scottish arrived and the Burks could not pay them immediately, the Galloglass turned on the Irish. Gronuel sailed to attack the traitorous Scottish, who had already fled back home. But Gronuel's feet. Mm, take that again. But Gronuel's fleet followed them back to Scotland to avenge their treachery. Gronuel would not let distance or even blood prevent her from achieving her own aims. With the crushing of the Burke Rebellion, and most of the senior Burke men having been killed in the process, Gronuel's nephew Edward and her youngest son Tibbetnalong emerged as the strongest contenders for the MacWilliam ship. Indeed, these two young chieftains were the last two Gaelic lords who had not yet submitted to Bingham's rule. But Gronuel and her kin suffered from the same fatal flaw that had left all of Gaelic Ireland in the dust of Renaissance Europe. 
Gaelic chieftains fought their own battles for their own causes. Not before or since Brian Boru in 1044 had multiple clans of Gaelic Ireland united under one leader and one cause. An attempt to change this was being fostered by the Ulster chieftain Red Hugh O'Donnell in Tyr Connell, who wrote to Tibbet Nalong asking him to ignite another rebellion in Mayo. Tibbet was extremely hesitant. Since the last rebellion, Bingham had a firmer grasp on Connacht than ever before. The Burks had lost men, lands and will. Plus, the very idea of an allegiance with an O'Donnell of Tyrconnell was foreign to a Burke of Mayo. But Red Hugh promised the reinstatement of the McWilliamship, as well as aid from the Spanish. So Tibbet Nalong marched on a castle where Sir Richard Bingham was personally dining. The attack was beaten back by the English. Tibbet Nalong held on for as long as he could before hearing that Red Hugh himself had surrendered and the promised Spanish aid had not materialized. This failed insurrection had disastrous consequences for Gráinne Whale, who was held responsible for her son's actions. Bingham marched on Caracahowley Castle, Grace's favorite and one of her last remaining strongholds. She was forced to return to her last dominion of the sea, but Bingham pursued, and for the first time ever, English ships discovered the secrets of Clue Bay, the series of jagged cliffs, coasts and inlets which had never been infiltrated by any intruder and which were known by no one as much as Gráinne Whale, had at last been compromised. This first loss of sea power was a blow from which Gráinne Whale would never recover. Now in her sixties, an absolutely astonishing age in the 16th century, especially for a warring pirate. It seemed like a 40-year career as Pirate Queen had finally been brought to heel. And for anyone else, it surely would have. But this was Gráinne Whale, who once again picked herself up and made the most audacious move of her career. Grace O'Malley, Ireland's Pirate Queen, was to set sail for London to the court of the Virgin Queen, Elizabeth I, to be continued. The Late Night Nod features original music and improvised interviews with guests from a fictitious world of arts and culture. Each episode weaves a conversational thread through tales of inspiration, excess and heartache with some of the creative world's best-known personalities that you've never heard of. Join some of Ireland's most talented actors and comedians as they step into the world of the Late Night Nod. And that is the tale of Gráinne Whale, a notable traitoress on Fireside, and I hope you all enjoyed it. Oh, it feels wonderful to be recording again. I cannot tell you how much that is, folks. That was the one thing when when I couldn't record for the couple of weeks, that was the one thing that uh, I was able to take from it in a positive light is it made me realize how much I missed the the podcast, uh, you know, because like you do it every single week for over three years and it just becomes a part of your life and it is this constant 
thing in your back of your head to always have to do and I've I've said before I had wondered you know was it was it draining me and burning me out after a certain point and stopping me from doing other creative projects as well but absolutely not I never I never would have been able to do half I never would have been able to write and publish a book and and write another book and write a screenplay and all the other creative projects that I've been able to do alongside I wouldn't have been able to without building the discipline that has been and the skill and and everything that has gone with recording fireside and taking a couple of weeks off even though it wasn't intentional and so I wasn't really able to even enjoy it as a break which is frustrating considering I was constantly just like I should be doing it but I physically can't um it, the positive to be taken from it was to realize that I do miss it and to come back to it with some sense of fresh eyes um, so that's been really, really nice. But this story itself, again, the later you get into Grania Wales' career and the more it becomes about the socio-political landscape of late Gaelic Ireland, the more complicated it becomes to to tell as as just a story rather than like a poorly told account of history. And I hope that I have still been able to make it engaging and entertaining and try to just not simplify it, but streamline it as much as I can um, so that it, so that each of these episodes stand alone, but as you go through them, you learn more and more. I've tried to just focus on the main characters and always try and bring it back to grace as much as physically possible. And no doubt the most interesting thing I think about this section of her story is actually the part of the story that has the least to do with her, which is the Spanish Armada in Ireland. This has been a long, legendary thing, particularly for those over in the West Coast. There has long been thought that there is a Spanish blood running through certain people of County Connacht, uh, of uh, the province of Connacht and the counties of Mayo and Galway particularly. Good friend of mine, Andreas the Stack, who directed my show Cassowary. He's one of these people who's from Shrule in County Galway. But he, to look at him, you would think this man has uh, has Spanish blood in him somewhere, even if it is from 500 years ago, from the wrecked ships of the Spanish Armada on the coastlines of, uh, of County Mayo. Uh, and it's incredible to learn a little bit more about this here. Because ultimately, like so much of Grania Wales' life, there is no accounts of it in Ireland. We just have uh, these reports from these English lords uh, and courtiers in England. And the Spanish Armada particularly is just this thing that no one knows what happens. There's no report of actually, we know these ships made it there and then they were wrecked. And then there is no account. Wood rots. So the, the ships are gone. The men are gone. There is no accounts of in the folklore of what happens there is there's tales of irish brutality from english people which again may be true but we're talking about the incredibly racist attitudes of a lot of the english towards the irish at this period and uh, so they're incredibly unreliable as well and we have immense accounts of trading uh, with the between the spanish and the irish particularly the uh, coastal merchants and pirates of the province of connacht um, so it's all so, so, so interesting in the mystery of it. And this is naturally where as a folklorist you can come and as a storyteller you can come to your own because you can just tell these, not to mislead, but just that these are the accounts rather than having to say this is specifically what happened. But then we get these incredible ramifications because 
Gaelic Ireland is absolutely falling apart now. It had fallen it had fallen far too behind uh, Renaissance Europe. Um, you look at the sophistication of what's going on in society and culture, even in England alone. You know, I've, I've said before, like Shakespeare is writing at this time. You know, this is this is everything that's going on over there. Um, and the, you know, the new world is about America is about to be discovered, and the age of exploration has become, and they're filling in the map and. Uh, there's been incredible advancements in science and and medicine and meanwhile back over in Ireland you have an incredibly proud and very well protected and long-standing culture and uh, that still stands stands to us in our music and in our art and even to a degree in, in us as people but it just wasn't sustainable because there was no sense of unity between these clans these two clan groups could not join each other they fought their own battles they had their own rights in their own certain lands and unfortunately that was just caving to the might of an incredibly unified and sophisticated army and power that was britain particularly and when we talk about the 800 years of of british oppression in ireland it began a lot before this but this is where the vice grip really starts to go sink in. This is where it is very firmly and actively suppressed. Um, and this is, yeah, this is the death of Gaelic Ireland. This is the death of what started with the arrival of the Celts in the 5th century BC. That That is gone now from the end of this period. And we'll see it worsen then with the penal laws uh, which then started to restrict all the rights of catholics entirely we'll have the plantations of the catholics it just it really this is a really really crucial point and it is so fascinating that one of the most important figures in irish history which is grania whale that she was around at this time and not only was she this this incredible figure and this it's just almost unbelievable to imagine a woman in, in one of the most sexist of sexist times, one of the most sexist countries in the most, the most sexist times, um, could have achieved this power and could have lived this long and ruled this long by land and by sea and could have been such a thorn in the side of the English um, as just this, this ultimately this petty pirate um, who was still feared and respected in equal measure and written about so much by these English lords who were trying to suppress her and eradicate the entire culture. So she is not only like a first and only, she is also the symbol of this dying way of life in Ireland. And we're finally going to get, I mean, the next episode I adapt on Grania Whale is the reason why I didn't just do one episode on her. It's the reason I wanted to do her whole life because I wanted it to build to this, which is the fact that we know for a fact, historically happened, Grace O'Malley, Ireland's Pirate Queen, had a meeting with Queen Elizabeth I. And that will be the story for next week. And with that, I will leave you. So thank you so much. Um, apologies so much again. And thank you for your patience and waiting for us to come back. I hope people have missed us. I hope uh, I hope it has been noticed, um, you know, because... Uh, I have missed it myself and have been dying to get back up and running with the podcast um, and it is fantastic to be back and hopefully that will never happen again where I have to take an inadvertent break due to a physical injury or the loss of property. Um, but with that, folks, yes, follow me over on Instagram, email me at thefiresidebarred at gmail.com. 
support the podcast at headstuffpodcast.com and buy my poetry book Garden Sea at headstuff.org or at um, um, or at Amazon. The links are all in the description below. Next week we have an incredible folk tale uh, with an incredible name which is about the well at the end of the world. I'll see you all. You'll hear me all next time. And remember wherever you are and wherever you go you can always join me by the fireside. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.